We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drug drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. Message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Apollo, my co-host, my partner in crime this evening, Tommy Avant. Well, it's the first time we've talked, Tommy. Coming off that rather, I don't know, is depressing the right word? Depressing loss to Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh. What are you going to say? What do you got? What do you got, Tommy? I can't really argue with that. I mean, I had that game chalked up as a W. Um, I, I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers overall are an inferior team to the Rams. And I was absolutely disappointed that the defense scored more points than the offense. And that's all you got for now. Just That's yeah. the only thing. Well, folks, the reason why he's just got that, that's all he's got for now, is actually pretty simple. We're going to break this show up into to three parts today because 
I do not want us ever to gain the reputation of being a group here at Rams Talk Radio or at Bunny Heads or anybody where all we do is just vent about the team. We want to break things down. We want to be honest. We want to be able to tell you the good, the bad, the sometimes ugly, and sometimes great. So we're going to literally break this up into that kind of way. The first part of the show today, we're going to talk about the positives. Second part of the show, we're going to meet with Will DeWitt from Chicago Audible. Tell us about the Bears. And then at the end of the show, you'll be free to leave if you don't want to hear. That is where we're going to take some time and vent a bit as to what we have seen, not just last week, but now a culmination of nine games and some of the trends that aren't so positive. Sound good? Sound good, Tommy? Yeah. All right, so before we get there, I want to remind you we're sponsored by Jim Hawkins' book, Hollywood's Team. We also want to just note that we are available anywhere podcasts can, can be found, including Spotify, Spreaker, Apple Music, really especially Apple Music. Don't forget to subscribe there. Leave a five-star review on Apple. That would really help us out. It'll also enter you into a contest where you can get yourself a nice, wonderful, personalized jersey from NFLShop.com. Hopefully a Rams jersey. Got to hope it is. This is how you do it. Go over there, leave your review, send an email to ramstop1945gmail.com with a copy of your entry, a screenshot, and then just leave your name. We'll read your feedback on the show as well. One more thing. We want to give a shout out to our sponsors over at MyBookie. They've been uh, a part of us down here a little bit, and don't forget the promo code if you're going to use them. Seriously, use that promo code. Helps you out. As a true football fan, you already know, just as sure as the seasons change, Tom Brady will keep the Patriots in the game. Every weekend, our favorite Gridiron Warriors put their skills to the test, so why aren't you doing the same? We're almost halfway through the NFL season, so now is the time to get off the sidelines and get in the game with MyBookie. MyBookie is the premier place to bet on all your favorite pro and college football action every weekend. They always have the most up-to-date lines and the most prop bets of any sportsbook on the planet. So if you're going to be betting this season, do the smart thing and bet with MyBookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try Parlay. Pick your locks for the week, then put them together in one parlay bet, and when they all come through, the rewards are huge. Best part is, if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's right. If you put in $1,000, they'll give you $1,000. That's double your initial deposit so you can use it on all your favorite picks. Use promo code MASSIVELATEFEE to activate the offer. That's promo code MASSIVELATEFEE, and you'll double your cash when you sign up. Visit mybookie.ag today. Mybookie. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, Tommy. Folks got to hear much of my breakdown on Monday night. Sitting down with Mike, and I had some very distinct thoughts. We didn't get too much into the positives, though. And we haven't heard from you at all. So, first things first. What were the good things that came out of this game? Well... The good things that came out of this game are our defense still can play football, right? How many points did they give up again? Because didn't they have a defensive touchdown too? Yeah, so they got a total of nine points, including the extra point. So we held them to nine points on their offense, correct? Ten. Ten. So we we held them to ten because the final score was 17, right? Yeah, yeah. And our defense scored nine, correct? Correct. So that's the positive for this game. Our defense still has the capability to keep us in games. Um, they've got things shored up 
because of the trade of Jalen Ramsey. Wade Phillips is able to coach the de- the style of defense that he likes to coach. The problem is, is now the opposing offenses are picking on the weak offense, which is Troy Hill. Um, they'll keep to leave, obviously, on the other side, which we probably would have had if he didn't get injured, unfortunately. So we got who we got. But our defense is, is phenomenal. Let's be honest. They're doing their job. If you're only giving up 10 points a game, you should win every game you play. Right? Individually, yeah. So, yeah, and individually, you were happy with the play of who? What were the big impacts for you? Obviously, Aaron Donald always does his thing, whether he's taking on triple teams, which he was, and freeing it up for the other guys to go one on one and make plays, stop Mason on third down. We tried to scramble. They did a great job overall, you know. No one really stood out in particular. I wasn't really focusing on anyone. I was. It was hard for me to, to, to be honest with you, to pull positives from this game because <clears throat> I've been watching the offense closely, and they're not getting any better. So I'm sorry. It's hard for me to be positive. I'm a defensive guy. Our defense is phenomenal. Our offense is crap. I mean, o- offensively, I thought we were trying to wait until the last part of the show. Well, dude, there's, yeah. I mean, there's there's about thirty seconds of positive to talk about, <laughs> in my opinion. So, I mean, well, <laughs> I mean, you got we, it. I mean, we we saw an offensive line out there and an offense overall that had major problems. We'll get there at the end of the show, uh, the last segment there. I mean, defensively, I, I was really impressed with how well Clay Matthews moved. He he looked good yeah. for a guy who'd been out for a month, especially especially when he came in on that that blitz late. He looked just as fast as he did years ago. And it's a guy who has been out for a month, busted jaw. How, how the heck is he going to keep his nutrition up with a busted jaw at his weight, height, and his, his um, diet needs? I'm wondering how he did that. I would love to ask him that question. I thought, you know, we're picking on Troy Hill. Troy Hill got picked on all game, and they still had less than, what, 200 yards passing. So even Troy Hill, for being let's say, mediocre, didn't give up anything that was bone-crushing. He didn't give up anything that said, you lost the game for us. Roby Coleman... No, no, no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So the defense overall played well. It's a very good defense. I think if the offense was doing its job, it wouldn't just be a very good... It wouldn't be recognized as just a very good defense. It would be recognized as an elite defense because they'd be on the field less. They would be on the field yeah, less. We'd be winning by twenty points. Yeah, I mean, they the way they stopped the Pittsburgh running game. Remember, Pittsburgh has their offensive line, and Pittsburgh has guys that can run the football. James Conner didn't play, but they got over hundred yards last week with Trey Edmonds. So mm-hmm. that should tell you a lot, right there. That Rams defensive front did a great job, and Mason Rudolph for being a young guy for having to kind of learn the game a bit in the, at the NFL level, he's no slouch either. There's a reason why the, why the Steelers came in at 4-4. Four and four. He's not, It's not like the guy is, well, T.J. Rubley or something. <laughs> I mean, you get what I'm saying? No, he's, no, he's good. He, good. He, he, he can play. He can play. So the defense did a, did a great job. And I also want to throw a shout-out. I mentioned it on Twitter as well. There were a lot of Rams fans there. You couldn't really tell. There's the yellow seats there, and we were 
there was no like Rams section. We were just kind of scattered. But I saw a lot of Rams fans there were. And they're all ready to come up and fist bump you. And it's like, you're, you know, this is something we're starting to see a little bit more and more now. More Rams fans travel with the team and go in these games. It was nice to see. It was really nice to see, actually. It was um, really, for a fan base that gets ripped all the time, a fan base, I'm serious, that gets ripped all the time, we are seeing more and more traveling fans. And hopefully one day we'll be known like the other franchises out there are, like the Packers and the Bears, that travel well. Yeah, well, if their franchises moved three times, they'd be in the same position as us. I really don't. It's not a comparison. Like, well, I'm not criticizing Tommy. No, I know. I'm just saying, like, it is what it is. Where the Rams are a nomad team. You know, you move cities that many times, you might as well be considered a nomad. So the fact that you know, I think it's cool because we have fans scattered all over the country. So for them to have the ability to go to some of these games because they live in those areas like you, for instance, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, and I'm already playing next year. You and I were talking last just last night about, you know, training camp. I might actually make training camp next year. Fingers crossed. We'll see. So That would be great. That would be, that'd be wonderful. See if I can go out there and cause a little hate and discontent. It'd be fun. So overall, that's your positives. And I, I'm going to throw out a couple offensive positives too. A couple. All right. I mean – I know you're not in that mood, <laughs> but I'm 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 going to do it. Joe Everett played pretty well. Oh yeah, Joe Everett's becoming what we thought we what we thought he would be. You and I talked about his a bit during the off season, and I don't think people believe me. I've been really high on Joe Everett coming in this year, and finally I'm pro- I'm proving right on something. Something no, I can it's tell. Great, you know, hey. it's great to see that our second round pick is working out. I thought he would eventually. You know, he's he's very talented. And he's getting the ball thrown to him now because it needs to be spread around. Stop staring down Cooper Cup, dude. Give me a break, man. Like, get it together. (laughs) So him getting the opportunities is awesome. You need to spread that ball around and keep the defense guessing. So I'm all for it, man. And the other one, too, Josh Reynolds. I know he didn't get a whole lot out there. But he made a couple of really nice catches. I'm going to say this flat out. That was pass interference in the end zone. It was. And this this should have been a different game. It blows my mind. It, I hope that Rams fans can get a little bit of solace out of this. This team is so talented that they could have won this game. Even with all the garbage that happened in that game, they still could have won this game. And really yeah. should have. Yeah. You know me. I'm a Josh Reynolds guy. So... I'm always going to be on his side. He he just got drafted to a team that was wide receiver heavy because we brought in a bunch of receivers, including Cooper Cup, in the same draft as him and bringing Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods. And he's buried on the depth chart. And people have the nerve to say he stinks. Give me a break, man. You obviously don't pay close attention to the skill set that he has. He's fantastic. He's a game breaker. And he's been open a lot in his opportunities. Jared Goff needs to do a better job of going through his reads or reversing his reads. Use your head, kid. Yeah, and we'll talk more on that in a little bit. So, folks, those are the pauses. Now that I've talked about a couple, do you have any? No, you basically said them. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, dude. Like, I, I, If I was on that team, I'd be like getting offensive players 
in headlocks in the locker room. I, I would fight him. Like, I'd be like, you guys need to get get together, dude. This is ridiculous. There is we'd one more. Whole, be, I'd kick all the reporters out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm wondering what's going on in that locker room, but there's one more pause I want to bring up. When Todd Gurley had his opportunities on Sunday, especially in that you know, third quarter after all that garbage happened with the with the fake punt, that next drive was the where the Rams doing. They're going downfield and they're going with Todd Gurley. And he looked like the old Todd Gurley. He looked like the explosive Todd Gurley that we all know. Not 6. the one one six point one yards yeah. of carry. And so those are the positives. And those are pretty three pretty good pauses, and that's that's going to make a lot of the questions in terms of what's going on with the offense. But before we do talk about that offense and talk about what, what basically are the negatives that we saw on Sunday, we're going to take a little break from that and discuss, of course, with uh, the people that be over at Chicago Audible. Our friends over there who have been on our show before for the Roundtable podcast for last year's Bears preview, we're going to talk with Will DeWitt from Chicago Audio. From Chicago Audible. Let me say that again. We're going to talk with Will DeWitt from Chicago Audible after this. Shall I say a message? That sounds ridiculous. Tommy, I sound ridiculous. You're just sitting there just not saying a word. You're talking so fast, I have no idea what you're saying. (laughs) All right. Here we go. Fine. Before we get to our interview with... Will DeWitt from the Chicago Audible. We do need to talk about our sponsor as Jim Hawk. As you've heard me say a million times on this show, if you're addicted to anything LA Rams like I am, then I'm going to ask you, have you read the book Hollywood Sheen, Great Glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams? Some people I know, aren't, they're not readers. Tommy's not a big book guy. All right, fine. But there are a lot of readers out there that are Rams fans. This is a great read. It's great look into history. It's a personal touch. This is about... A dad's story, that being Jim's dad, John, he played for the Rams from, from 1953 to 1957, and it tells a story about the Rams really entrenching themselves in Los Angeles during the time where Hollywood was rising. So, folks, that means glitz, that means glamour, that means all the things that go with Hollywood, and that means also future Hall of Famers like Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy, Presley, Hirsch, Tom Fierce, Les Richter, and many more, all in this story spent the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. So if you want to find Hawk's book online, you can go to hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter, Hollywood's Team. It's available both in hardback, paperback, and electronic form at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and you can also find Hollywood's Team through various other booksellers on the internet. Folks, great read. Serious. Good one. Also, all proceeds go to Homeboy Industries, which is a organization in the L.A. area that focuses on getting people out of the gang life and become productive members of society. What better bargain can you get? Finally, do us one more favor. If you've read the book, or if you've got it now and you're reading it, please go over his Amazon page and leave a review. Do Jim in that favor, please, because he needs some more reviews over there. I'm serious. For a guy who wrote such a good book, he could really use more people telling everybody about it. So here you go. That's my, there's my pitch, guys. I'm telling you, go check out the book. So, real quick before I jump into the Bears here, I want your thoughts, Tommy, on this game. Like, what is your three keys? What are your three keys for the Bears and Rams this weekend? Three keys. Like, three things that for the Rams to win. And three things the Bears need to do, for that matter. Hmm. The Bears have the same problem the Rams do. A quarterback... Isn't getting it done. I need to see quarterback play. I don't care about your stupid offensive lines. Okay? 
There's other quarterbacks in the NFL that figure it out. It's called pocket presence. If you know your offensive line is not giving you the amount of seconds that's needed for the play, maybe you should change the play. Okay? I want better play calling, better pocket presence. Jared Goff needs to be able to smell the rush, and he has blinders on like horses in the Kentucky Derby. He doesn't see a damn thing. He doesn't see it coming at all. I need him to wake up. All right? It's on him and Sean McVay. Todd Gurley is not the problem. His knee's fine. Shut up about it. Okay? This is is what needs to be done. There's two guys that are making this team lose. Okay? The offensive line, they already made a decision in the offseason. They were not going to address it. They were going to run with what they had in the draft picks that they picked. Okay? And now they're dealing with that. Right? We all knew this was coming. If you know football, you knew this was coming. So what I need to see is the offensive line to sack up. Jared Goff to open his damn eyes, and Sean McVay to call a better game. That's it. That's our only problems. We fix that, we roll. Simple as that. And so you and you would flip better on the Bears too, right? Bears, you're saying you have the same problem, so just Bear, switch yeah, names the out. Bears' problem is their quarterback just stinks. He only played one year in college. That's probably why he stinks. Um, he hasn't played enough football, period. Right? You played one year in college. Come on, man. That's not enough reps. Oh, they just picked the wrong guy. It is what it is, you know. They they passed on Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Dig that grave, buddy. All right, so there you go, folks. Let's look at what the other side has to say. Let's talk with Will DeWitt from the Chicago Audible. Check it out. All right, folks, I'm here with Will DeWitt from the Chicago Audible. Once a different named podcast, I will... <clears throat> not say that it's like he who will not be named in the harry potter <laughs> series just one you know couldn't forget it. Uh, outstanding group of guys over there how you guys doing hey pretty well thanks for having me on like you said last time that we we're working together over the past couple of seasons uh, definitely a different name i don't want to say it i don't want the nfl coming you know after <laughs> me yet again so uh, the chicago audible that's who we are now and uh yeah doing pretty well how about yourself uh, we're well. We're doing person. We're doing fine. Watching Rams football these days. Well, like, I guess it's safe to say it's a, a bit of a train wreck, especially in a place where we're not used to seeing it. That's on on the offense. It's it's unnerving to say the least. Unnerving. But <laughs> this isn't about us right now. This is about you and the Bears. And what we do want to know is what's going on. You guys are NFC North champions, a team that was. I mean, they're prime. They're young. They get a great defense in there, a young quarterback, and they come in this year, and the entire offense has just been blah. What's happened? Uh, it's the R word. It really is. It's regression. It's just people taking steps back, positional groups taking steps back, a quarterback taking multiple steps back, a head coach and a play caller who isn't living up to the same creativity standard that he set a year ago. So when I'm looking at the Bears offense, really, it's just regression across the board. Maybe Everyone besides Allen Robinson has taken a step backwards from a year ago. Our offensive line hasn't been able to do much in a running game. 
Uh, we've actually we signed three, well, two running backs, one via the draft, and David Montgomery signed Mike Davis from Seattle. He just got cut this week, uh, so that's actually big news in Chicago because we get our first comp pick in like seven years, uh, which is I guess exciting at this stage of the game. But when I'm looking at that Bears offense, yeah, all begins up front with the offensive line. Mr. Trubisky hasn't been able to be uh, take those next steps and be the guy that we need him to be. And Matt Nagy himself hasn't been really putting this offense or his quarterback in many favorable situations. So when you're asking what's wrong, the easier answer is what's not wrong, and that's Allen Robinson. But outside of him, uh, there are issues everywhere you look. Well, you and I are talking about before we actually start recording that there are, I think, some serious similarities here in terms of how the Bears and the Rams are regressing, and the the coaching, both these guys, Gage and, and McVay, the young young bucks, the ones who are the innovators, and now we're looking this year and going, what the heck's going on? I want to get there. But since you mentioned this whole thing regressed, except for Allen Robinson, I want to go piece by piece with you. So I'm going to start with Mitch Trubisky. What's for the problem with him? <laughs> I'm laughing because I wish I can tell you. I wish he knew what the problem was. My theory, and I've been kind of working on this as the season wears on, and I've seen it before with Chicago quarterbacks that have had mild success in the past, is you know Trubisky, he had that, I'll call it a breakout year last year, at least for him and his standards. It was way above his rookie season um, in terms of all the stats and what he was able to do for this offense. I think teams figured him out. I think they took an offseason, sat down, said, how do we stop Mr. Trubisky in the Chicago Bears offense? You take away some of his learning, uh, running lanes so he can't move outside the pocket. You force him to throw from inside of it. And he's proven that he can't go through a progression. He can't read a defense quick enough to figure out what they're doing on any given play. And by the Bears trying at the same time this offseason, wanted to take that next step on offense, so he opened it up a little bit more, made it a little bit more complex, so he was asked to do more. I think it's just a recipe, on, unfortunately, for disaster with Mitch. He's been asked to do too much, which, to me, too much shouldn't be too much, at least where he's at in his career. So I think he's just kind of collapsing a little bit here. Under the pressure, under the pressure of his offensive line not helping him out, not being able to escape the pocket, and having to go through his reads. And we've seen issues when he's having to do that. His mechanics kind of fall apart. He seems a little bit rattled. He loses a little bit of that energy or that edge that we saw from him a year ago. So I just think right now with Mitch, there's a little bit too much on his plate, which I'm not making that an excuse, but to me that's more of a problem, right? Like The fact that there is too much on his plate to actually run a NFL offense and a full one instead of what last year was more of a tailored version for him, it's a problem. But then, you, and unfortunately, I'm going to just keep rolling here, but you look at head coach Matt Nagy. Yes, at one point you want to kind of evolve this offense to where you want it, but if your quarterback's not getting the job done, we're at a point where he needs to start tailoring the offense back to his quarterback, which I think we saw a little bit in Detroit or versus Detroit. Uh, But yeah, when it comes to Mitch, I think there's a lot of problems. His mechanics off, his decision-making's off, and it really does stem to, I think, defenses figured him out, and he hasn't been able to, you know, combat that. With Trubisky himself, is it really just the teams adjusting to him, or have you been able to tell if it's more of a case of adjustment plus maybe a lack of preparation over the course of the offseason? Did he... Do you know if he put in the time to keep growing over the offseason that was necessary or have you heard anything different? I mean, I'm wondering nope. those things because some quarterbacks do that and don't do that. <laughs> 
You're right. You're right. Uh, no, I haven't heard anything out of the ordinary when it came to his offseason. At least here in Chicago, we were really fed the narrative that they were working on because this, uh, this year is the second year with Matt Nagy, and the offense, we're calling it 202. So he graduated 101 last season, and we're moving into 202 territory, and we were fed the narrative that he was mastering it. He was putting in the work, he, which I've seen, but not on top of that, but he was finding success in practice against this Bears defense. And if that's really the case, if that's really what happened, then I don't know how why everything fell apart the way it did. My theory is they were promoting him a little bit more in terms of how well he was doing in practice compared to what you know you see from media. And I'm not media, but at least what you hear from the reports, I think the personal narrative that the Bears were pursing out was a little bit better. But yeah, no, I think he put in the work. I just think, like I said, it's maybe just be a little bit too much for him mentally. He can't process quick enough. And I don't think that's as much as a preparation standpoint. It just terms of his natural ability, both physical and mental. How much of this is on the offensive line, though? I know you guys have had some offensive line problems this year. had a hard time running the football and throwing the football. Right. Where is it offensive line? Uh, I would obviously, you were going to put a lot of blame on them as well, because if they're not setting up the offense for success, whether it is establishing a running game or protecting Trubisky, obviously both of those are going to affect what, you know, number 10 can do on any given Sunday, but offensive line hasn't done this offense, no favors, not really generating a lot of push. Um, in the run game, we flipped positions with our center and our guard from last year. Uh, James Daniels moved to center. Cody Whitehair just moved to guard. That was over the offseason. Last week, they just flip-flopped them back. So they're trying to see if that would fix some of the problems up front. I didn't really see too much that would really make a positive impact in that regard. Whitehair, who moved back to center, last week had multiple low snaps. Uh, offensive line were also without Kyle Long. Uh, he's on IR this year. So we have Rashad Coward playing right guard. He's someone who transitioned to offensive line a year ago. He was an undrafted free agent who played defensive tackle, moved him to right tackle in the offseason a year ago. He's kind of stuck around on the practice squad, got elevated to the active roster, got put into that right guard spot. So that's obviously a little bit out of his element, just two years removed from playing defensive line here as an undrafted free agent rookie. Uh, so I'm looking at the offensive line. I can't tell you like what percentage I would put the blame on, but definitely they're not doing this offense any favors whatsoever. They're still a very, you know, it's a big problem up front, which I know kind of trickles down to the rest of the offense. What about in pass protection? What's the real problem yeah. pass protection wise? Yeah. Same same boat. Uh, not giving Mitch a lot of time, but also I think Mitch has overcomplicated some of the pressures. He's you know he's seeing ghosts out there. He's getting happy feet when maybe the pressure isn't as uh, you know overwhelming as maybe he's feeling back there. So he's a little shell shocked. Uh, so it's kind of like a you know those two units aren't playing so well together. Where if the offensive line does give him good protection. He can stand back there, but he doesn't do it you know, every single time. He does feel some unnecessary pressure. But in terms of the actual offensive line, uh, they've regressed as well. Our tackles, Bobby Massey and Charles Leno Jr., who played really well a season ago, are having a hard time uh, really taking care of edge defenders each and every week. I think we're allowing a little over two sacks per game. Again, some's on Mitch, but a lot of it does go back to the offensive line, and a lot of it comes from the regression from both of our tackles. In your running backs, how much of this is really on them in making good decisions running the football, finding holes, and how much of it is the offensive line not doing their job? 
Uh, primarily the offensive line. Uh, our rookie, David Montgomery, our third-round pick this year, he has some of the most beautiful three- to four-yard runs, uh, runs that you'll ever see. Uh, he doesn't get, you know, as soon as he gets the ball in his hands, he doesn't have a running lane. There's not really an open hole. There's already guys right up in his lap. And he's still finding ways to, you know, break tackles, make people miss, and, you know, turn plays that should be negative yards into positive yards. So even though his numbers aren't really one to write home about, it does stem to the offensive line not really giving him many running lanes. And when they've done, he's been able to break out some big runs this season. But uh, the offensive line hasn't been able to really do that consistently. Uh, There's a mixture of the offensive line's talent as well as play calling. Uh, we've had games this year where we've only ran the ball seven or eight times for an entire game, which gives that entire offense out of whack, out of rhythm. And those are games that we're in. We're not losing by a ton. We're losing by like three points, and we're still abandoning the run. Uh, so it goes to a play-calling mistake over there. But yeah, I would play put most of the blame on the offensive line compared to the running backs uh, this year. I think David Montgomery has done a really good job with what he's given. And Shreek Cohen, he hasn't been getting the same kind of touches uh, that we saw last year. And I don't think they... I think this is another player that defense kind of figured out and we haven't found a way to kind of get him in some fruitful situations like we have in the past. Your defense, though, still remains, well, the Bears' defense. How are they holding up under the additional pressure of basically having to carry this team right now? Holding up best they can uh, will be the way that I put it. They're still pretty good. Statistically, I think they're statistically better than what I'm seeing out there on Sundays personally. Uh, they can stay on that field and find ways not to get off it, whether it be mistakes on their end or just allowing offense to convert third down after third down, uh, especially in some key moments. I've seen that. But, yeah, I would say the defense it's still basically who I think they are. Uh, defensive line, we lost Hakeem Hicks, who he's like the lifeblood up for us up front. And after the loss of Hakeem Hicks, uh, teams have one guy to focus on. And that's, of course, Cleo Mack. And they found ways to kind of keep him out of the last four or five games. No real big impact plays from Cleo Mack that we've kind of leaned on in the past. He's not getting after the quarterback. They're taking two to three guys to chip him, to block him, to make sure he doesn't wreak havoc. And it's kind of having an impact on the rest of the defense as we haven't had uh, consistent pass rushers outside of Cleo Mack. So we're having a hard time getting after quarterbacks which, of course, trickles into your secondary because last year, obviously, our secondary was really good, and they're really good at getting interceptions and turnovers. But a lot of that came due to the pass rush and quarterbacks having to make quick decisions and get the ball out quicker than they would like. And we haven't seen that over the last five weeks or so. So as a result, uh, less turnovers by this defense. Uh, offense is putting up more yards than I would expect. Uh, we had last week, we had Detroit's back of a quarterback, and he was able to throw for over 240-some-odd yards against this defense. That would have never happened a year ago. And speaking of last week, we lost uh, the captain of this defense inside linebacker Danny Trevathan to a pretty gnarly arm injury, so he's not going to be out there either. So even though the Bears' defense statistically is still looking good, uh, over the last few weeks I've been seeing them uh, kind of take some steps backwards due to the lack of the pass rush, Cleo Mack being taken out of the equation, and a couple of key injuries right in the heart and soul of this defense. See, this is this is why I keep thinking – so many different similarities. It's, it's weird because both these teams last year had a much different identity. The Bears defense was much, much stronger than the Rams defense was. Your offense was a bit more limited, but our offense was supposedly off the chain. This year, even though the identities of the teams are different, 
the we're supposed to be different. The problems are the same. Now both defenses are very good. Both defenses have playmakers. You can make plays, even though you're saying like Lil Mac has not been making the plays you expect. He will this weekend, by the way. Oh, I'm that's so good to know. Up. Thank you. Um, the the offenses, though, it's just everything you're saying is like, well, tick that one off, tick that one, tick that check mark. Yep, 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 going right down the board. And even down to the, to the last thing I want to get with you on here, and that's, you know, Nagy and what he's doing or has done this year that isn't quite working together compared to last year. What's what's going on with Matt Nagy? I don't know. I really don't. Uh, it's interesting uh, in terms of, like I said, uh, if you're going back to the offense, his play calling has been very questionable at best. Uh, his creativity has taken a downward spiral. Things have gotten really basic and really simple over there on offense, and I don't know if he's you know, overcomplicating things or oversimplifying them, but in terms of Matt Nagy, I mean, he's the same guy. He brings a lot of energy, uh, but like last year, which was his first year as head coach, there are some in-game management decisions from him that still make you scratch your head, make you wonder if he can be that guy to really you know, lead this team all the way just because he's making some bonehead decisions in games, you know, uh, inopportune timeouts, not challenging plays that should be challenged, uh, time management, time of possession, uh, all things that still make you scratch your head. So I don't know if it's him trying to reach at all the straws trying to find the right one this year where things kind of not going right but in terms of Matt Nagy he seems like the same guy uh, we won our first game we lost four in a row we won our first game uh, in a while last week uh, versus Detroit and we had our club dub I don't know how much that's known around the league but all the players celebrating in the locker room uh, with their music and dancing and I was a little confused by that because you lose four straight. I don't know mm-hmm. if I would be celebrating beating a Lions team the way they did. But yeah, in terms of Matt Nagy, I have no idea what's wrong with him. Uh, in terms of if he's just not getting across at the locker room, if there's a riff because uh, he's protecting his quarterback or talking up his quarterback still and not putting the blame over there. Uh, so making it more about the entire team where obviously the defense is probably starting to get frustrated with the offense uh, not being able to put up more than 17 points per game uh when you have a good defense like the bears who can still keep opponents to pretty you know manageable scores and the offense can't even score more than 17 or 20 on a weekly basis obviously there's gonna be some friction and some divide there i'm just thinking man <laughs> still think i'm just, i'm so cut off guard here in that it, it's just like i'm in a mirror when we're having this conversation we're hearing from you just thinking the same thing as in the mirror is there hope, though? Are you starting to see anything turning around for the rest of the year in terms of direction for the Bears? Can they still possibly make the playoffs? Or what are you really looking forward? What are you looking forward to now for the rest of the year? Yeah, great question. I mean, I feel I feel lost, right? Like, can I say can they make a push for the playoffs? I mean, mathematically, yes. We're still technically in the hunt, but. Uh, you look at Green Bay. You look at what Minnesota's been able to do over the last month as well, and that's a tough road uphill for the Bears sitting here at four and five with those two teams in our division. You know, take care. If we end up winning this week and we find a way to beat Minnesota again, which we would uh, have the edge over them to oh, we if we beat Green Bay, you're looking at one one. Depends on how the rest of their season kind of plays out as well. And I know this is a very critical stretch of our schedule, where this is where things are starting to supposed to get difficult for us. This was the easier part of the year, and we're sitting here at four and five. So I don't know. I really don't. So for me, I'm 
not hopeful. I'm going to be pleasantly surprised if they can make a run at this thing, but I'm not going to really, you know, uh, bet the house on it uh, by any means whatsoever. Uh, if the Bears can find a way to combat some of these injuries on defense, uh, they've gotten a little bit more soft up front, like I mentioned, and the offense can kind of turn things around, maybe. Uh, but like I said, I'm going to be, my expectations are mild for the rest of the year. I want to be surprised if this team finishes, you know, nine and seven. I want to be surprised if, if they finish seven and nine. Looking at the matchup this weekend, though, the Bears were one of the first teams to really target those weaknesses on the Rams' offensive line to really nail, pretty much literally, almost almost literally nail the things that can hurt the Rams. They win 15-6 on Sunday Football last year. It very nearly sent the entire Rams season tailspinning. How do you see this weekend playing out? How do you see the game in L.A. this time, not in the weather in Chicago, Working out? Uh, roughly the same. I think both offenses have been uh, pretty bad as of late. Um, both defenses can play pretty well. So I expect this one to be another low-scoring game. Um, if somehow the Rams were able to move this ball in the Bears' defense and put up some points, I don't really have faith in our offense to kind of keep up with you guys because uh, I know you guys had some games where you put up a lot of points. Uh, the only time we were able to do that this year was against Washington. Other than that, like I said, we're having a hard time scoring more than 17 or 20. Uh, so I expect it to be uh, low scoring. Our defense should be able to, if uh, history serves me correctly in looking at your team, uh, the offensive struggles kind of help with that, mitigate some of the overall scoring. So yeah, I'm looking at a low scoring contest between two teams that are struggling to find some identity in offense, some success in offense, defenses that aren't as great as they once were, but still pretty good in their own right. Uh, and then just another, you know, tooth and nail fighting game. I expect it to be, uh, when it's all said and done, a one-score game, one way or the other. But I don't really envision one team kind of taking this thing all the way uh, and just running with it. Uh, with primetime, it would be interesting because the Bears haven't been so good on primetime over the last few. So, but, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I'm still early in this week. I'm still looking at both teams. But just as we sit here on a Tuesday evening, uh, still five days away, I don't know. It could be, I think it's going to be a slugfest. I really do. You don't have a prediction for it? You're not going to take a shot? Usually I wait, I wait till Thursday. So I guess you can have my unofficial prediction. Uh, I'm going to have the Rams winning this one right now. I'm sitting here at about 21-17. Some team just seems to be our number that's like about where we can get. And then there's just a hard wall at 17. I mean, we barely got 20 against Detroit, which had the 28th, 29th ranked defense in the NFL. And we barely did it. And it was only in like three different drives. And one of them was a short field. So I don't envision us really putting up many points. So I'll say 21-17, you guys. Wow. Surprise. I know. I know, right? <laughs> well, I think I'll save my prediction for your show. Or, when, when everybody listens in later on, you'll hear it, but I'm going to go, I will say this though, the, the Rams offensive line with three players down, and they were already off or begin with, so now three stars are down, they've had to replace them, and the Bears already were able to really hit edges against the Rams last year when Whitworth was playing better and haven't seen us playing better, haven't seen I'm going to be in this game at all. The Rams better have a serious plan to deal with that Bears front seven, or this could be just as bad as last year turnover-wise. This this offense is not functioning at the same capacity as it, as it 
did even at its worst last year. It's just not able to work magic. Gurley is an issue there as well. What are they going to do with him? How are they going to use him? We're hearing lots of excuses. So I'm even kind of arguing against your your endpoint there because I just think there are so many different problems with this Rams team that it's about the matchups. If the if the Bears didn't have the ability to really get to the quarterback, then I wouldn't be worried about this game. But because the Bears do have, even though they, like you're saying, they haven't been doing it, doesn't mean they can't do it. And they have the players to do it. If they can get to the edge, which we know the Bears can, and really pin the pin the Rams back, I, I'm I'm thinking, dude, I think it might be the other way around, or worse, because of that just problem that the Rams have in the edge. We'll see how it goes. I mean, it's funny because you're very you know nervous about your offensive line, and I have no faith in the pass rush because I haven't seen it. Really? So it's it'd be interesting to see how it goes. It's about matchups, though, you know. And it, if you're the Bears, you're you're looking at this Rams offense, and if we're gonna get our pass rush right, it's gonna be this game because we have all the advantages there. I it's just gonna be Khalil, Khalil Mack, Mack, though, because that's it, though, and it'll just be him. And I it's been five games where he's been. Teams have found a way. Teams have found a way to take him out. And if you can take out Khalil Mack, the rest of the pass rush, they can't win one on one matchups. Not Leonard Floyd, not Aaron Lynch, our rotational outside linebacker. Uh, not really the guys up front in the middle right now. The best that we have going for us, who leads the team in sacks, is an undrafted free agent that's been bouncing around practice squads for a couple of years and stuck to our active roster. His name's Nick Williams, and that's been our most consistent guy. That's not a, that's a problem for us because we have someone else in Khalil Mack and a first round pick in Leonard Floyd and. They're not getting it done. They're not winning those matchups. And we've had going up against teams with who've had injuries up front and backups playing, and they haven't won the matchups. And I I understand that you're equally as worried on your end. So it's real. It's again, it's that mirror. It's equal but opposite. Equal in a very sad way. I'm sure mm-hmm. when we both saw this schedule come out and this matchup on Sunday football in L.A., we're thinking, man, this is gonna be prime time. Huge matchup, have massive playoff implications, and now it's more like a playoff elimination game. If, yeah. If, you know, if the Rams lose this one, they're pretty much done. If the Bears lose this one, they're pretty much done. And so it's not what we ever thought was going to be. But yet, it's still two of the more historical franchises in the league. They they put on an interesting game last year, and, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing if these two teams can at least give us a game come Sunday night. We'll see. We'll see. All right, well, can you tell people where to find you, all of your work, including? Yeah, sure. So anywhere you want to find us uh, on Twitter, it's at Chicago Audible. Facebook is slash Chicago Audible. The website is chicagoaudible.com. And if you're having a hard time, if you want to listen to our show in preparations for the rest of this week, we do a few different versions of preview shows uh, with Derek being on our first one, which will be releasing here on Tuesday night. Uh, It is uh, just look up Chicago Audible on any podcast app or player. I'm sure you'll find us. All right. There you go. Thanks a lot so much for coming on the show and have a great one. Thanks, man. You too. Thanks so much. All right, before we get to the last thing, we do want to say that 
We are looking for sponsors, as always. Reach out to us at ramps1945 at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a meeting to get ready to get out to you. Also, don't forget, we are part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Check out one of our partners. Hello out there to be man, woman, and child. This is the B-Team. I'm Nathan Eberhardt. And I'm Michael Hanna. And together we host the UCLA B-Team podcast, your go-to audio source online for news, analysis, opinion, and sometimes even jokes about UCLA Bruins sports. We're proud to be members of the Big Heads Media Network, and you can find our newest episodes every week at BigHeadsMedia.com, or you can subscribe via iTunes, Google, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, at UCLA B-Team, and hit us up with questions or comments. We love to interact with our listeners. So for a smart, level-headed, if sometimes they Unofficial. We cannot stress this enough. Unofficial. Take on the UCLA Bruins. Come join the B team. All right. So, Tommy, you've been kind of touching on this throughout the negatives right now from last Sunday, and I think you and I see things a little bit differently. I'm kind of looking at it in two scopes because I saw I saw a problem that was just really on Sunday, and that is with the offensive line itself. And now going back and looking at some more film, seeing some other deeper issues. And you're just kind of just going straight full bore into play calling, to scheming, so on and so forth. So where are you standing right now overall on what's what's wrong with the Rams? No, I want to hear what you have to say first. I need to hear this. I mean, I talked about something in the show, but you may, you may have uh, decided you didn't want to hear it because you were mad. No, no, no. I want to hear. I want to piggyback off of you. In the game that I was there, so I saw an offensive line that no matter what on that day, no matter what Jared Goff called, no matter what Sean McVay called, they weren't prepared to deal with Pittsburgh. They just were not prepared at all. They were blown off the ball in virtually every instance in the first half of that game. They weren't there mentally, and Pittsburgh knew it. You can see from Pittsburgh's defense, their body language in the field. You can look at the body language of the Rams players out there in the field. The The way that Pittsburgh attacked the Rams was taking advantage of slow first steps on the edges, both with Andrew Whitworth and with Havenstein, and just blowing through them. Meanwhile, on the, on the inside, these guys just pushed, 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 pushed back. There wasn't really anything that they were doing even special yet. It was just Pittsburgh Steelers football. It was an offensive line that at least watching it firsthand was not physically there with Pittsburgh. But I'm going to say mentally, they were out-muscled. They were outworked. They were out everything, and they showed no sign at all of being able to do anything in that first half, especially. In the second half, a little bit different, but in the first half, especially, they, they had nothing in terms of, man, it almost, I'm not going to, I don't want to say it because I can't say that's true, but it was almost like they, for, they didn't have heart. And that's not what we know about these guys, especially Andrew Whitworth, but it was like they were, they were broken. They, they they had heard the legend of the Pittsburgh Steelers and came in this game knowing all right they were going to get beat up. They were going to lose. And that's not the way to play the game. Now, again, that's what I saw. It does not mean what it is is true. I can't, I can't 
go with like I know 100% that's what was going on in their minds. I'm just telling you what they looked like. That's the perception I got from them. But then going, you know, that's why I'm, I'm talking about this game. But going back and watching film, I'm going to the... I, I've gone back and forth about this for the Bengals game, but I just can't let it go. The second half of the Bengals game with Jared Goff, just some of the decisions he was making, it wasn't, it wasn't the offensive line. And it wasn't anybody else... No, Except for Jared Goff, it wasn't Sean McVay's play calling. It wasn't. It wasn't the tight ends. It wasn't wide receivers running bad routes. It was Jared Goff making bad decisions. Not just bad decisions, but some of the worst decisions I've made as a quarter. I've not I've made, but I've seen made as a young quarterback of him. Going back previously to previous games and looking at some of the, of the protections there, some of those weaknesses we saw on Sunday are there. But they were never as dramatic or as pronounced as they were against the Steelers, which tells me what you were saying earlier about, okay, you can audible out and change the play to change the outcome. And that's not happening. So does that mean that we're not seeing Jared Goff reading defense as well? Does it mean that the sidelines aren't recognizing defense as well? Does it mean there's not communication between the offensive line and Goff and McVay? Those are the things that come to mind. And... There's one thing that's really been on the back of my the back of my mind for a while now because I'm usually the guy who will defend Jared Goff. And I'll give you the example, I'll defend him all day on especially the first half of the Steelers Rams game. There was no quarterback on earth who was going to be able to perform against that behind that offensive line against the Steelers in that game. There's they they had nothing for the Steelers defense. But as I'm watching more film and I'm looking back on these decisions, Jared Goff is now in year four, and at some point, you should be reading more progressions. You should be processing faster. You should be able to make better decisions. If we're talking about his footwork in the pocket, I think it has improved. I think it is, but it's not much, but going through and watch the film, we're seeing improvements there. But we're not seeing improvements where it really matters, and that's in decision-making. In the question I'm going to ask, I wish I could ask, is why? Why are we not seeing improvements in decision-making? Because he has the talent to be the best quarterback in the league. We've seen him flash that, physical talent anyways. Yeah. When you have someone pulling the strings for you and you don't have to think and you could just be... Right, that helps a lot in life. Um, not everybody has both. Not everybody, and it <clears throat> it could be one of many things. But in my opinion, I think it's an effort thing. You're only as good as you want to be in life, and you and you're also limited by your your genetics, so to speak. Okay, I want to talk about the offensive line first. Okay. All right. I'm not and I'm not I'm not talking about the Rams offensive line. I'm going to talk about offensive line play in general in the NFL over the last decade. The NFL decided at some point that they were going to become a passing league, right? They started throwing the ball more, slinging it around five wide receivers, the greatest show on turf kind of opened that up and and it started, you know, long before that with the Chargers and Dan Fouts and whatnot. But we've seen flashes of it over time. What what's happening and if you're not paying attention, you should, okay? Because this will help you as a fan 
evolve your fandom and understanding what's happening and, and why what the results are and why we're seeing what we're seeing. So defensive linemen have evolved over the last 25 years into lean, mean, weightlifting, cone drill working, knife avoiding animals. Okay. They're doing things differently because they're being forced to because of the way the NFL is being played. Okay. Defensive linemen did not look like Aaron Donald 30 years ago. They look more like Rooney from, uh, what was that show? Married with children, you know, Al Bundy's fat friends that he all Mm -hmm. hung out with. Yeah. They, They looked more like those guys. Okay. And so did the offensive linemen. The problem now is the defensive linemen look like Aaron Donald, Shaq Barrett, Vaughn Miller. Guys, when you take their shirts off, you envy them, right? You're like, damn, I wish I could look like that. These guys are out there getting it. And the offensive linemen in the NFL over the last 25 years are taking a step back because they think because they were born a big boy, right? 6'4", 330, when you're like 19 years old, that you're, 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 you're a tough guy. That's not necessarily true. You're just big, right? Um, they're not putting in the work. Roger Saffold is a perfect example. Let me explain to you. When Roger Saffold came to the Rams via the second round of Indiana University, he was doughy as hell. His arms, his biceps had fat on them. You could see the cellulite. You could see that he didn't work out, that he wasn't a workout guy. He was just a big guy, and he played like it, and he also got injured a lot. I don't know if anyone noticed when he moved to Los Angeles, dude hit the weight room like no other. And not just that, but when guys like Aaron Donald get drafted to the team and, the, and other players see how he carries himself and how he it's, – it's infectious, right? So you've seen the physical transformation from 2011 to 2018 – with Roger Saffold and why he got a big contract to go to the Tennessee Titans because he actually earned it. He got better. He changed his lifestyle to become relevant because if you don't, you're going to be out of the league. We all know that. And it's all it's all about your will to want to be great. There's a reason why you got to this point. There's a reason why you made it to the NFL and why you were drafted. Okay? But it's not the finish line. It's just the beginning because now this is the part of your career where you actually get paid to do something you did for free all those years, playing in high school, Pop Warner, college, and so forth. Now you actually get paid for it, right? So the better you play, the more money you make. Well, sometimes when the guys get to that pinnacle and they get that big paycheck, so to speak, they take their foot off the gas. We've seen it. I've seen it. I've been a fan of the NFL for 35 years now. I've seen it time and time again. They get that paycheck and they kick their feet up, knowing they're going to get fired at some point, knowing how much money they have in the bank and how much they're willing to give up. Okay, I got an $80 million contract. If I just kick my feet up for two or three years and they fire me, I'm going to end up with like $49 million in my bank account. And basically, they didn't do a damn thing for it. And I'm okay with that, too, because $49 million is enough money for me to live off of the rest of my life. I think I'm just going to go that route. Dude. It happens all the time. We need offensive linemen in the NFL, for the most part, to pick it up because they're falling behind the eight ball, and we're seeing it left and right. Defensive linemen are now juking you to get by you. It happened to Austin Corbett at left guard this weekend. He, As soon as the ball was snapped, 
the defensive lineman juked him and just ran right around him because he's just a better athlete and he doesn't have two left feet. I'm faster than you. I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. You don't have a chance. And that's what we're seeing across the league, not just the Rams. Okay, we're seeing it and we're seeing, you know, there's a handful of offensive linemen that are sprinkled around the NFL that are superstars. Right. And they have two things that these other guys don't. They're, they have alpha personalities, and they're and they work hard. Guys like Taylor Lewan in the weight room hitting it. When you see him on the field, he's screaming like primal, like "Let's go!" Like those are the kind of guys you want on your offensive line because offensive line and defensive line are the toughest positions because you have to be the toughest dudes on the field. And we just don't have a lot of tough guys up front right now. They're soft. You could smell it, dude. I'm sorry, but. I played for a long time, and you're only – it's a psychological thing out there, man. These guys are getting verbally abused. Trust me. It's going down. Aaron Donald was verbally accosting the left tackle and the left guard for the Steelers the whole game. I watched inside the NFL this week. He was mic'd up. He was killing them emotionally. He's like – he told 71, he's like, you shouldn't even be out here. You shouldn't even be out here, bro. You, you you this you ain't it like he was crushing his soul not just physically but emotionally and that that verbal abuse out there to guys that are betas man it's over you're just you're crushing their spirits not just their ability to play but you're crushing their spirit you see them walking around with their shoulders hunched it's yeah dude <laughs> it's embarrassing but that's what the Steelers did to the rams i mean that's that's what I saw. I saw right in front of me. I saw this team just mentally destroy them. Yeah. I mean. I wish I could have heard the defensive lineman mic'd up for the Steelers. I would have loved to hear that. I'm because sure I bet you they were do. I bet you they were doing the same thing. You know, they were just abusing them, telling them, like, you shouldn't even be out here. You'll be out of the league in a year, bro. You suck. Like, dude, I used to do that stuff to the opponents all the time. I'd go right up to the receivers and be like, dude, you ain't going to catch anything today, bro, and I'm going to knock your head off, dude. You should just sit on the bench. It's safer. Like, I would just roll people up verbally and, and before the game would even start. And when the game, when they got out there and they saw me, you could see the fear. They were scared, dude, because I already set them up for failure with my mouth. All right? Jalen Ramsey's the best at it, dude. He just verbally accosts everybody the whole game. He's brutal, dude. They even wrote an article about it this week, about his trash talk and how how he goes hard on everyone, dude, and gets in their heads and gets them to play off of their game. He did it to Julio Jones, too. Julio Jones had his catches and stuff, but, I mean, let's, he didn't go off. He didn't score any touchdowns, you know. He was out there just crushing them. Well, they still used Jones' numbers against Ramsey and all these different commentaries, but he didn't, like you say, he didn't go off. I mean, Jones is... Six catches one, for 84 yards is not going off. I mean, zero touchdowns? No, yeah, that's, that's doing Jones is one of the league's best receivers and has been for a long time. One of the elite mm-hmm. of the elite. Top so, two. I'm sure, I'm sure Wade Phillips was happy with six catches, 84 yards, and no touchdowns. Absolutely. That's a win, bro. That's a win. You're count, if you're counting the rest of your defense to, to shut everybody else down, that's what you do? Total win. It's impressive. Total it's win. really impressive. And if you don't think that, you're nuts, dude. Because that the dude Julio Jones is he's one in a million, man. I think there's something else I want to bring up, and it's a bit awkward for me to bring it up. But having been there on Sunday, 
and just haven't had a couple more days to just digest it, having seen the performances in other games, I'm really wondering about the Rams culture right now. For two years, it was we, not me, we, not me, everybody's together, everybody's together. And you're not hearing guys publicly throw each other on a bus or anything. But, but if it's we, not me, why isn't Todd going on the field in the fourth quarter? There's something going on behind the scenes. It's obvious. And if people aren't watching closely, you need to start watching closely. Watch Todd Gurley's behavior on the field, at the podium. Listen closely. Dive into what his behavior is telling you. Um, I've been watching it closely for a while because I know his knee's fine. He's fine, man. He's not getting the ball for a reason. There's something going on behind the scenes between him and management and the coaching staff. And the biggest problem of it all is that as the head coach, your job is to win, period. Find a way to win no matter what is going on with the team. Get it done. Whatever personal problems you have with players, fine. Deal with that, right? But don't punish the team and the fans because you're being hard-headed, all right? If Todd Gurley's averaging twelve, you know, 6.1 yards a carry, he has 12 carries for 78 yards, and you're in a close game and you don't just start feeding him in the fourth quarter, that's on you, buddy. And everyone's watching, and we're not stupid. So, Sean McVay, you better get it together, buddy. You're young, and you got an ego. Don't be Josh McDaniels. He learned the hard way. Check your damn ego at the door, son, and do what's right. Todd Gurley's the best running back in the NFL. I don't care what anybody says. Give him the ball. You paid him all that money. Give him the ball and ride him to a Lombardi. Straight up, dude. I I just think back to that game and his bio language after after his one big drive being nice on the bench. He's just kind of sitting back behind all the coaches and their players. And, and he's not up there paying attention to the game in press conferences. Listen to what he's saying, man. Stop my decision. Talk to coach. Stop my decision. Stop my decision. I'm used to it. Yeah. And that's telling me when those are all things in pretty much any other organization, they would just stop. They would either have a long talk with that guy and knock it off, or they just wouldn't put him out there talking press conference, period. Something would get done. But he's still out there talking. And he's not trashing the team or anything. But those words aren't those aren't positives by any stretch of the imagination. They're 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 saying, listen, it's not my decision. It's he's theirs. telling you he's telling you without telling you. I mean, it's pretty you know, obvious. If you're not reading, if you're not reading the tea leaves, you're not paying attention. If you're still talking about Todd Gurley's knee, you're you're out of touch. Pay attention. These are people with egos and emotional problems and stuff going on at home that you don't know about. And when you're at work, sometimes you'll do stupid things because you're not okay. Okay? It, it's we got to remember that these are just people just like you and I and sometimes you don't have all the answers and you make bad decisions because of politics or personal problems or whatever the case may be you got to leave all of that at the door every day when you go to work and you got to leave work at home when you arrive you got to leave that stuff you got to separate it man you know i don't talk about my wife will ask me how my day was 
I like, are you asking about work or, or everything else? Because if you're asking about work, I don't want to talk about it. And she's like, why not? I'm like, because why? What does it matter? Work's stupid. Nobody wants to go to work. Nobody wants to talk about work. It's over. Let's talk about something else that's better. Because work will always be there tomorrow and the problems will be there when you get there. Right? I just think the biggest problem with the Rams right now is they got a lot of drama and they're not talking about it and no one's talking about it because they got to sell SSLs with that brand new stadium. So I'm sure they're being told from the top, just like they do with the Patriots, keep your mouth shut or you're going to get fired. Get it worked out. Figure it out quick. We got seats to sell. We got a brand new stadium. We're behind budget. Um, Hello? You guys better get this figured out. Stan Kroenke's probably not happy right now, dude. I would think he wouldn't be, and it, it needs to be looked at. I mean, just think about how much of a blessing it is to have so much talent on one roster. And my biggest concern, and I'm guessing the concern of many Rams fans would be, you're about to waste all that talent. Yeah, there, there's teams all over the league that are doing that. They'll they won't address their quarterback position. Like, how does the, how do the Bears not? trade for a quarterback before the trade deadline they are a they are a contender they have a good roster and they're wasting it too just because they picked the wrong quarterback and the gms don't want to admit that they did that they did a, a bad job so they'll stick with the guy hoping that that won't get you fired no what's gonna get you fired is not fixing the mistake you made you idiot that's what that's what these guys aren't doing. They're not man enough to admit, my bad, dude. I picked the wrong dude in the draft. We got to fix it. Let's fix it before we waste these guys' careers, right? There's guys. There's there's like guys that are Hall of Fame worthy players on your team, and you're gonna waste them for stupid reasons. Whether it's drafting the wrong guy or or having a rift with another player and not feeding him the ball, whatever the case may be. You got to be man enough to just say you messed up and and try to rectify it by changing directions. All these teams in the NFL do it all the time, Derek. And I think people forget that. And it's really like I'm talking by people, I mean fans, us included, Mm -hmm. journalists, us included, (laughs) uh, all the experts. They seem to act like you need to hit every pick in the draft or that you will hit every pick. And so it's life and death when you trade away those two draft picks for, Jer- for Jalen Ramsey. And that's not really the case. You, no. You, when you trade away picks, it does make it more important that you hit in the picks you do have, obviously. But yep. you, but the average team is going to miss, I, I would guess, and I don't have the actual data in Seven, front of me. Se- I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say 70% of your picks are bust every year. I was going to go... Have seven, if you have seven... You're you're hitting on two maybe. I was gonna go probably half and half because you're gonna you're gonna get somebody who will play special teams or somebody who who will make practice squad and somebody who will be a good bench player, a couple starters. So I'm not sure what you mean by uh, by being a bust. What's defined the bust in this moment? If you're not gonna if you're not a consistent starter on the on the all twenty two, then. You're useless to my team if you're just a special teams player, especially if I pick you in the first or second round. You need to be you need to become a serviceable player that's worthy of a second contract. That's called hitting on a pick. Okay, so there you go. There, there's your definition right there. A serviceable player who's worthy of a second contract. That that, that covers a lot. It covers someone who's a starter. It covers someone who's a good reserve. 
Mm-hmm. That covers a if lot. You can get, if, if you can get paid a second contract and are worthy of it on a team that drafted you, then, then you hit on that pick. Straight up. Okay, so I would say you're doing well if you get about half. Yeah, absolutely, well. man. If, okay. you, if, if I drafted seven players a year, you know, one in each round without all the trades and all the pileups we have in the NFL these days, and, and I hit on three of those seven, and, and I could give those guys second contracts every year, three players, three players, three players, three players, every, dude, your team is going to be stellar. You're going to have to start trading guys away. Because you only you have too many good guys, right? It happens. It happens a lot. Imagine if the Rams drafted Khalil Mack at two instead of Greg Robinson, they would have had to trade one of them at some point. You can't pay them both, right? But we would have had two of the best players on defense in the NFL for four years together, um, and because that's how small the window is to win, you know. I mean, but. Do you think both of them would still be here? No. Khalil Mack would be gone, and we'd get some first-round picks back for him, and Aaron Donald would have got re-signed. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been crazy, too, by the way. Just something. <laughs> crazy, too. All right, Dude, what's crazy, what's crazy is, is there's five players you could have taken it to that are all superstars right now. <laughs> true. Real true. So, real quick, though, before we go, make your prediction. Who's going to win this game? Uh, if we don't win this game, I'm out. <laughs> they, they stink, you're not, dude. You're, 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 the, you've been a diehard through many, through much worse. No, this. no, no. What's I'm your... not gonna quit being a fan, but I'm gonna check out, dude. I don't. I got better things to do. I'll be at the games. I'll do my thing. But I, I know. Listen, the reason I'm so lethargic about the team is because I actually, I get it. I know what's going on, man. And it ain't gonna get any better this season unless these hard-headed people get it figured out so so, yeah i can i'm not going to take away from the fans letting them live with hope whatever motivates you every day and keeps you fired up but i'm just one of those different cats man i like to live in the real world and i know what i'm up against so that way i don't get let down you know i don't i don't i don't want to live in that world where i get my heart broken because i'm got my head in the clouds I like to be even keeled, understand what's going on and where we're going, so I can when it when it unravels, I can go, yeah, I saw that coming. That's just the way I handle things. Everybody's different, guys. But am I no way trying to be a downer as a fan? I love my team. I always have, no matter what city they played in. But I live in I I, I live in the world of reality, dude. It is what it is. I I know I know what this team really is right now, and they're not going to do anything on offense. Especially against teams like the Bears, I just don't see it. They got to prove me wrong. I don't have a prediction for this game, dude. I have no idea. I have no idea who the Rams are. I don't. I don't know what I'm going to see. I don't. It's actually like opening presents on Christmas every Sunday. Don't know what I'm going to get. Sometimes we'll score forty. Sometimes we'll score three. So, yeah, I'm gonna get really, but I'm gonna get really twisted up on Sunday, and I'll be there. Don't know how much of the game I'll watch, but I'll be in my seat. All right. I mean, <laughs> all right. So, all that in mind, I'll go ahead and make my prediction. I said already on on the Bears shows I've been on. I'm calling it. You're not. You're gonna be unhappy with me. I'm, I'm going uh, Bears twenty eight, Rams ten. I'm seeing this game where the Bears will just destroy that Rams offensive line. Unfortunately, we're going to see turnovers, turnovers equal bad field position. And 
then it goes from you know what, what should be a close game, what statistically would be a close game, to something like that. And add in the Rams have not played well at home this year. Add in that they have not played the Bears well historically, because I think history matters sometimes. You, you know, that's just my view. 28-10. Not my favorite prediction to give. And I hope I'm wrong, by the way. I hope I'm really wrong. Yeah, I hope you're really wrong, too. I don't feel like spending $100 on tall cans. <laughs> I mean, not my favorite, that's for sure. All right, so folks, there you go. I'm I'm sorry it's the most cheerful podcast. I don't think we're being unfair. I think we're willing to look at the team's uh, strengths right now, and but we're noticing some problems, and uh, hopefully enough people speak out to at least, if they're right, by the way. If it's not, if they're wrong, if we're wrong, then I hope someone tells us, but I don't think so. I think it's pretty clear at this point that the issues we're seeing, at least perception-wise, are there, and let's hope the brands go together, because you still can. Teams have struggled throughout a year, and they've, you know, I remember the 1988 Rams were 7-6. Remember them? 7-6, seven, seven they won last stream in the playoffs. The Rams in 1989 were 5-4, five and four, same 5-4. and four. They had started 5-0, and oh, lost next four, figured it out, went 11-5, got all the way to the NFC Championship game. So it's possible. Anything's possible, but you got to figure it out. Yeah, the reason, and the reason I'm so upset, guys, is because I know we're good. We have a few little problems. Todd Gurley and uh, Sean McVay, whatever argument you had that got you into this position, both of you, you sack up, shake, give each other a hug, and get it together and straighten out this playbook. Um, Jared Goff, put your head on a swivel, open your damn eyes. They're coming. They're always going to be coming, no matter if your offensive line is fifth in the league or 25th in the league. They're always coming. Put your head on a swivel, young man. Get it together. Okay, we solved those problems right there, and the offensive line sack up a little bit and act like you've been there before, dude. We'll smoke anybody, dude. We have the ability to, but those guys need those handful of guys. You know, we're talking about six people on as part of the team: the coach, the quarterback, the running back, and three, three or four of the offensive linemen. You know what I mean? That's it. Everybody else is doing their job, so those guys need to be held accountable, and we could beat anybody in this league. Because our team is that good, guys. All right? That's why I'm upset. It's a little, a couple of little problems that are getting in the way that need to get straightened out. All right, guys. It's time for us to go. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at, at TalkRams on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. You can find me on Twitter at DC Apollo and, of course, Tommy at Ram Tommy in LA. Don't forget us in iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all those places. And so for Tommy and the entire Rams Talk staff, this is Derek C. Apollo saying, take it easy. We'll talk to you after the game. Here goes nothing. Now there are more ways to be a team with Microsoft Teams. Bring everyone together in a new virtual room. Collaborate live, building ideas on the same page. And see more of your team on screen at once. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Looking for your next great hire? CareerBuilder is the fastest growing job site in the U.S. with over 140 million candidate profiles and growing. Plus, candidates on CareerBuilder have skills for the most in-demand occupations. Let us help you rebuild and rehire a strong, more diverse workforce fast. CareerBuilder, we're building for you.
Visit hiring.careerbuilder.com forward slash recruit. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.